Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. This is what you do if one of your brothers or sisters sins against you. Go to him in private and tell him just what you perceive the wrong to be. If he listens to you, you've won a brother, but sometimes he will not listen. And if he does not listen, go back, taking a friend or two friends with you. For as we have learned in Deuteronomy, every matter of communal import should be testified to by two or three witnesses. Then, if your brother or sister still refuses to heed, you are to share what you know with the entire church. And if your brother or sister still refuses to listen to the entire church, you are to cast out your unrepentant sibling and consider him no different from outsiders and tax collectors. Remember this, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this, if two or three of you come together as a community and discern clearly about anything, my Father in heaven will bless that discernment. For when two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Genesis. My name is Becky Patton. Welcome. If this is your first time here, we're very glad you're here. If you've been here a number of times, we're really glad you're here too. I am, the sermon today I have absolutely no title for, so you guys can help me with that. But the reality is, I, this is the first time I've ever said yes to preaching and not looked at the passages ahead of time to make sure I had a shoe in. So that's the first caveat there. And the, when I read all the passages, I did go back to Steve and I said to Steve, I said, I don't like any of them. Can I say no now? And he goes, no, I want you to pick the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. Oh. There are expletives that came with that. But the reality was that I realized something, that sometimes what happens is the things that we avoid the most are the things we need to look into the most. And I'm just by show of hands, I'm wondering how many of you have experienced this verse and confrontation in your life that has been done in this way? Okay, and how life-giving was that? Anybody want to volunteer? Was that life-giving? Why? Why was it not life-giving? It was shaming? What did I say one more time? They weren't good at it? What else? Oh, there was an agenda. It was shaming. They weren't good at it. There was an agenda. All of those things are things that I have experienced. And part of it is when I looked at this passage, I was like, there's no way possible confrontation. If this is what Jesus says confrontation is, then I don't know that I really like his method. So it led me to some question, ask some questions, and it led me to dive into this, the situation just a little bit deeper in Scripture, because one of the things I think Christians are notorious at is cherry-picking a verse out and using it for their own agenda, for the purpose of trying to not have to feel, ultimately, not having to feel pain. Because who in here actually likes to feel pain? 
Ooh, not one hand, I don't think. No, we don't like to feel pain. And I think this passage is more than just about confrontation, and yet I do think it is about confrontation. I do think it's about confronting our brothers and sisters, but I think that's one of the key elements, is do we even know who our brothers and sisters are? And we talk a lot about community here at Genesis, right? We just had a whole announcement about it, community. So my question is, what is community really, and who are our brothers and sisters? Well, um, we have to recognize where in the scriptures this passage came and what was right before it. What was right before this was Jesus was out with the disciples and they're having this great conversation. The disciples all come to Jesus and guess what they're asking about is, Jesus, tell us about the kingdom of heaven. We want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you think there was an agenda behind that question? When someone's asking who's the greatest, what do you think the other question they're asking is that's underneath that? This is an all play. Is it me? Am I worthwhile at all? Ooh, who's, oh, now you're hitting hard below the belt. Who's not the greatest? What question are we really asking if we want to know who's the greatest? I think what we're really looking at is we want to know who the other is. So we want to know our own value. Jesus saw all that. And Jesus said, because these guys actually, literally, if you think about it, they came and confronted Jesus with a question. And Jesus goes and grabs a child, or doesn't go and grab a child. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus, <laughs> sorry. Jesus actually called a child over to him and put, placed Jesus' hand on the child and said to the disciples, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The most humble who are most like this child are the greatest. Now, unless you change, basically translates as you need to turn from your own sin. And what are children like? Anybody been around a child recently? Yeah, right there. Okay, Matt, what are children like? <laughs> Oh, irrational. Yes, they are irrational often. What else? What are children like? What? Curious. Naive, emotional, energetic, no filter, innocent, forgiving, hopeful, no fear. That's what, what? Oh, so in the moment and present. You know, all of these things are what children are like. And so is Jesus asking in this question and in this basically statement to his disciples, is he asking the disciples to literally be in the moment, be irrational, be innocent? 
I honestly believe Jesus is. And that has to go with this whole passage of confrontation if we're truly going to see what this means. And if we're truly going to look at, because I think one of the things we have to look at, and I will say as a community we have to look at, is how are we going to hold differences with one another? How are we going to confront, quote unquote, our brothers and sisters? Well, first of all, we need to know who our brothers and sisters are. So my first question, the first place we're going to stop is, who is my brother and sister? Now, this word in Greek actually does mean physical, like relative. You can be connected by blood. But you know what else it means? It means, it can be, mean a blood relative. It also means a connective particle that joins people, often in the womb. Well, what in the world does that mean? What is a connective particle that joins us here at Genesis? What is a connective particle that joins this community? I'll play, sorry. Sunday mornings. New beginnings. God and Jesus, that's kind of, yeah. What about little things like, um, not so little, but like world vision? What about our love of art? What about um, friendships? What are the connective particles that make people my brothers and sisters? And it, so it's led me to think a lot about um, what are my connective particles? Who are my brothers and sisters? I, was up, I got to go up to the North Shore last weekend for Labor Day. Oh my goodness, it is so beautiful up there, so beautiful. And as I'm riding my bicycle, and the North Shore is on my left side, and it's gorgeous, this big expanse, and I have a friend who's riding beside me on the right side, and I'm talking about this passage and wondering, you know, like, I don't know if I can do this one, and I don't really, I'm kind of complaining, really, is what I was doing. But um, he says to me, as we're puffing along, he says, do we really know what community is? He says, because I'll tell you, Becky, once we know what who our community is, it changes our life, and it changes how we will live our lives. But more importantly, we know who we would face death for. What are the connective particles? Because there are some connective particles in us that make us brothers and sisters, but one of the key ones is an element of, guess what, we're not always going to agree and get along on everything. So what are the connective particles that join us together? And are we willing to recognize that's part of what creates and brings us together as a community. The second part of that first verse, we're only on the first verse, is that it says there that if one of my brothers or sisters sins against me, which basically means miss the mark against me, I am to go to that brother and sister or that connective particle. Now, my question is, and this is the confrontation on me this week as I sat with this passage, is do I go to my brother or sister or do I go at him? Yep, I heard those. Hmm. When someone misses the mark against you, what does that feel like? This is an all play again. I'm sorry, I need to start there. Okay, this is an all play. 
Let me redo that. When someone sins or misses the mark and you're with them against you, what does that feel like? Separation or distance? Disconnection. Let down? Self-righteous? Anger. Now we're getting somewhere, Charlie. Damaged. Betrayal. Ooh, you wonder if you're too sensitive. I actually had an opportunity in the last couple of weeks to walk this verse out myself personally, and I share this story with the permission of my friend, but um, my friend broke her arm and broke very, I mean, 10 pieces, that's pretty bad, right? And I'm at her house and I'm wanting to help her out, and I'm sitting there with her and she's got her arm propped up and, well, it's one of those arms, propped up, and it's, you can see the hand is swollen, I mean, it's nasty looking, and She's telling me these stories, and I just want to get her a glass of water. And No, I'll get it myself. I'm totally capable. I can't be needy right now. I just can't. I can't give in to this. I can't give in to this. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the? You broke your arm. Get over it. Let me help you. And what began to rise up in me was this irritation and this anger. And what I saw in this moment was my friend, somebody I have connective particles to, somebody I love. And I allowed myself to be present in the moment with her and feel her helplessness and feel her anger and feel her pride that she didn't want to be needy. And I thought about, oh, I could walk away from this, not have to feel this tension, and I'll pray for her because she needs prayer right now. And instead, I pressed into the tension. I stayed there. I held it long enough to confront my own hurt that someone wasn't willing to receive from me. And I said to her, and I really, I didn't try to conjure this up. I just had tears in my eyes. I said, what if it's not all about you? I said, what if? You allowing me to help you is a way for me to grow. See, I think this verse is talking deeply about the humility of will we be present with one another in uncomfortable situations first. Because normally what happens when we use this verse We've missed the whole first verse already. It says to go in private, to actually go to the person where you're feeling the tension. And normally what we do is we first go to a friend or um, the internet to research things or to a spouse or a beloved to make sure that we're seeing it correctly. Because we don't want to feel the tension 
I had another friend very vulnerably admit to me this week about a time in our relationship when she came to me out of sheer anger. And as I had the opportunity to sit with this friend, it took me back to that moment. And do you know what happened? Is connective particles of love and compassion and tenderness began to grow even deeper. See, I think, I think what Jesus is saying here, unless you become like children and you are present, and yes, sometimes children are irrational and it doesn't make any sense, but you know what also? Children know when they've been wronged. And they are not afraid to let you know it. So lest you think this is about just giving free reign for everybody to start acting childlike, what did Jesus first do with that child? Jesus called them over. And I think so much of this is about how do we see Jesus? Because What happens with our friends, our brothers, our sisters? The connective particles where we're joined together, those are either going to get stronger or they're going to become tattered and torn. But I want to suggest that even the tattered and torn ones have something to teach us. I, had, I live in a small town, well, it's, it feels like a small town to me, it's Wyzetta, and it uh, has James J. Hill days every day, every year, which is they celebrate a guy that they really are ashamed that they celebrate, but they actually still do it. Anyway, but it's become this really big festival, and so every year they have it. Well, this year, um, we had a police officer killed on Friday in our, neighbor, in our town, and we, because when you're small, it just impacts the whole city. Um, and we were setting up for this festival, and so I went down, and I, I was just down. I just wanted to be with my community. I wanted to be with those connective tissues, um, particles. I just wanted to feel connected to this. And I, I walked up to this. They had this pylon that somebody had taken and taken a uh, Wyzetta police shirt and put it on the pylon and then posted. Somebody had writ, handwritten a note about a, one of our police officers fell. And I looked um, at this, and it was, I mean, it was just very makeshift. I mean, it happened four hours before. This has just been done. People are setting up for this festival. There's kids everywhere. There's vendors. It's, I mean, it is pure chaos. It really is chaos. And I looked at this little place, and there's this little boy standing next to this shirt, wrapping his arms around and going, Mommy, tell me about who he was. Mommy, asking question after question after question. And I just stood there and observed the mom tenderly answering the questions with this little boy. And I realized something. At the core of who children are is a humility to know that they have to ask questions. And they aren't afraid to do it. So what if 
this verse, this passage is also, unless we become like little children and we learn how to ask questions of our brothers and sisters, places where we have felt we, I honestly, you know what? I do feel sometimes that I feel wrong, but what is that coming from? It's coming through the lens of my own experience, my own life experience. And what if? What if? Jesus wants to heal me too. What if? It's never just a one-sided element. Another opportunity I had in the last couple months is to walk this out in our community. Someone came asking for some help after trying to settle a disagreement and some ways of missing the mark. I want to say the tenderness, the vulnerability and fear that was displayed was real and it was evident. But at the core of their words was this, I don't want to hide anymore and I'm scared to death, but I want us both to be able to heal. And then they asked this question, is it even possible? Because I can't imagine us both healing in this same community. And I want to say, though they didn't have this language, I think they're shared particles of connection, of being brothers or being sisters, was at risk. And at the deep core was a deep desire to learn how to come to one another and not come at one another, and they needed help. If that's what this verse means, I want to learn how to heal in community, I'm all in. Ooh, do I really want to be in? Because that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to have to be intention, and I'm going to have to recognize and own something of my own element of sin, because unless I change, unless I change and become like this little child, I will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So everybody feeling really good about confrontation right now? It got really quiet in here. You notice that today I'm not going to what is it to receive confrontation. Because I think that's another sermon. I'm asking, what kind of people are we going to be that are going to recognize our connective particles, our brothers and sisters, and choose to go to people and not at people? Because there's an interesting part at the end of this whole 
element when it starts with just going privately and then going with someone else and then going, which the third one, which is I think is probably really misquoted because at the time, if you think about it, Jesus did not use the word church because there was no church. Okay? So anybody who has used this as permission to have the whole church know your sin, I don't think that verse means what you think it means. That's not what Jesus was saying. In fact, what Jesus was saying, that word church there actually means a gathering of like minds. It means people who are willing to come out of their homes, quote unquote, and be with others. So that means people that have actually experienced and know what it is to be restored. Are those the ones you want? To, those the ones you want in your camp doing this with you? Yeah. You want people that know what it is to have turned and become like children in this process. Those people I want in my camp. But post this, there's a scripture that I had a lot of trouble with in the midst of this as I was preparing. And this is what where we'll kind of end. Because it says, what if, it says, whatever you bind here on earth will also be bound in heaven. What does it mean to bind something? I'll play. To secure it. Connect it. Thank you, Rajan. It feels negative. Thank you, Jenny. What does it mean to bind something? To make it immobile? Is that what you said? Oh, okay. Yeah. To contain it. Hold tight. Tie it up. You know, I think it's actually, it can be all of these things. It really can be all these things. But when I look at this passage and say, whatever, whatsoever you bind on earth will also be bound in heaven, I have a lot of questions. Because the truth is, if I'm binding something here on earth and it's bound in heaven, well, what in heaven needs to be bound? And to your point, which I love that, that it has a negative, this has always had a negative connotation for me, this verse has, in many ways, because somehow I'm responsible for binding all the evil so that it's bound in heaven. Wait, wait just a second. Heaven doesn't have evil in it, right? That's how the verse has been presented to me, that somehow I have a responsibility to bind up or to cut off or to disassociate or to end something here on earth. So that's the part where it breaks down for me because the reality is, is I truly believe that what we bind here is about binding together. This word is the same word that is used for what, um, when Mary Magdalene and they came to the tomb and they bound up Jesus's body, so it would be carried, cared for in the tomb. It's about a loving gesture in that instance. And what if when we bind ourselves together and we work through this and these connective particles of us as brothers and sisters is about binding together something of when it says, thy kingdom come here on earth just like it is in heaven. 
what if? Because it says also that whatever we loose here on earth, we loose in heaven. Isn't heaven supposed to be perfect already? So what in the world could we loose here that would have impact there? So what if, what if heaven and earth, what we do here actually has an eternal impact for our brothers and sisters? What if what we do here and what we choose to be in with one another ultimately has an impact that's far beyond what we can see or understand. I have a really dear author that um, is a favorite of mine. Her name's Esther DeWall, and I just spilled coffee all over my book, so it's now marked. But one of the things I love about Esther, the, the book that I've been reading is Living with Contradiction. And I love this book because I find so much contradiction in life. Don't you? I mean, Jesus is saying, you know, unless you become like a little child and yet giving us a list of how we confront some of this. So it's, there's so much contradiction in so many things. But I, I, over and over what I see in Jesus, and I absolutely love this, is Jesus is always about inviting us to ask questions. I think Jesus is always about helping us to see contradictions that are evident but that we real quickly want to go to, um, oh, who's, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Because then I know who's the least. Tell me who the greatest is, Jesus. I just want to know who the greatest is. And then, you know what? I will help with your kingdom because I'm sure it's me. And the reality is, is Jesus actually picked that disciple. Do you notice that Jesus actually picked tax collectors? And then somewhere in this passage, he says, you know what, if they, don't come, if, they, if they are unrepentant, then put them as outsiders and tax collectors. Well, wait a minute. Jesus picked, out, picked the outsiders and the tax collectors to be Jesus' disciples. So there's contradiction. And here's the quote from Esther Duwall. Each person is a mystery, and that we must respect. We must recognize our own inalienable dignity as God-given gifts and respect this with one another. For respect for each individual underlies the whole approach to living with others. It means seeing each single person as a unique creation of God. It means recognizing the worth of every individual. And when we do this, we will bind here on earth together what will be bound deeper in heaven. And we will loose a kind of love here on earth that will also be loosed in heaven. Because there is nothing, nothing that is bigger than the kind of love that Jesus has for each one of us as we are right now.
We're going to go into 60 seconds of silence. And I ask you to join. Join God there. 